something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. So good morning, y'all. I'm so glad that you're here. We got folks watching online, and, and uh, God's got you here for a reason. Um, it's not coincidence or random or some chance that you're here. And I want to tell you one thing before we get started, and I don't know, they may be on their way in here. Stephen uh, and Melody, Stephen was singing, Melody was there. Today was probably the last time that you will see them uh, unmarried. Next, the next time you see them standing up here, they will be one. And it is cool, and you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that um, it's really not two sort of people bringing two different things and becoming one. It's really the abandonment of what each is, and God makes a new creation out of one. So when you see them next time, they will be a new creation. So that's very cool. Uh, I want to do just a couple things as we get started. You'll see um, Elliot and Katie here and here. Um, I did that backwards. Elliot and Katie here and here. And so if and they've got in their hands some of these. These are little welcome kits that tell you about our, our church family and, and kind of the ministries that are going on and, and sort of where we are uh, in our beliefs and values and, and such. And so we want to get this in your hand if this is the first time that you're here if you're visiting with us or if it's the second or third time and you've never gotten one, we want to get one of those in your hands. Just raise your hand. They'll give you one. Um, Julio held up a connection card. If this is also your first time, fill one of these things out and just stick it in the offering bucket. We're not going to tackle you somewhere. Um, we just want to kind of know that you were here and, and pray for you. And if you have a specific prayer request, fill that out on here and, and give that, uh, put that in the offering bucket or give it to somebody at the Connections desk. The last little announcement is this. Next Sunday, we will be ordaining um, a, a few new elders that have been appointed in our church family. That will be next Sunday, part of our worship service. So make sure that you're here next Sunday for that as well. Today, now, well, you know what? I want to do one more thing. I want you all to stand up. We had not done this in a couple of weeks. Stand up. Give somebody a fist bump or an L. Yeah, touch your toes. No. Give somebody a fist bump. Say hello. Um, and as you, as you say hello to, to everybody. Okay. Oh, we got tunes to go along with it. 
All right, y'all can sit down when you finish fist, fist bumping. Um, y'all, today we're wrapping up this series we've been in, Identity Crisis, uh, walking through the book of Ephesians. We're wrapping that up today. And up to this point, Paul has laid real foundations. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he, and this theme permeates the whole book, but particularly the first three chapters, he's, he's kind of hammering into who we are in Christ. As a believer, who we are, our identity uh, in Christ. Uh, he, he lays a good, found, a perfect foundation for that. In the last uh, three chapters, four, five, and six, it's kind of what do we do with that? What do we do because of who we are in Christ? The whole book kind of, um, kind of culminates in where we're going to be today. Today, uh, we are going to talk about battle. We're going to talk about warfare and and the fact that the gospel assures us of victory. The last few weeks, we've We've spoken about how the gospel changes marriages and how the gospel changes parenting and just the fact that the gospel changes everything about us. And then today, uh, we're going to be talking in, uh, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 about, uh, about victory, that the gospel assures us of victory. And I want to, it's going to be a serious, this is a serious message and this is something that people can get really flippant about. Uh, but the truth is, there is a dark and insidious and a nasty battle that is raging in our world. And it has been raging for a long, long time. It is a deadly war. Uh, it's a deadly battle. And it is light versus dark and good versus evil and heaven versus hell and Christ versus Satan. And you cannot let yourself be ignorant that that battle has taken place. Um, you can't let yourself be neutral either. You and I are in a fight, and we're in this fight whether we, um, whether we want to be or not, or whether we believe that it's taken place or not. Our unbelief does not, or our belief, doesn't change reality. Shots are fired. Shots have been being fired for a long, long time. And I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6 today, starting in verse 10. I want to read you these next 9 or 10 verses. Finally, and he says finally because the book has built up, the letter has built up to this verse in chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may... And I want you to recognize, and I've said this before, recognize words that are used multiple times. So as we read through this, recognize words, important words that are used multiple times. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand even in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, Paul, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly 
to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Y'all, Christ's church is not a kayak on the hooch. It's a battleship. It's a battleship that is fully equipped and fully prepared for war. Me and you as believers, if you are a believer, you are prepared for victory. And this passage, these nine or ten verses, really are a declaration of that victory. And so I want to talk to you today about a Christian soldier, about the Christian soldier. The Christian soldier and his enemy. The Christian soldier and his armor. The Christian soldier and his attack. And then the Christian soldier and his allies. His allies. So, so first, we got to know that we have an enemy. We got to know and you got to believe that we have an enemy. And then we got to know, um, we got to know about our enemy. Look at verse 11. The Christian soldier and his enemy. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's your adversary. He's the devil. And you may laugh um, and you may think that he is some superstition, that he's some mythological character, that he's some metaphor for evil with horns and a pitchfork and and a red cape. But I want to tell you something. You have an enemy. And he is real and he is seeking to destroy you, and he will slit your throat if you give him the opportunity. The Bible does not ever speak of him as some figment of your imagination, as some figment of my imagination, as some myth. The Bible always speaks to him of him as, as he is real. And he has, he has spent a lot of time pulling this, uh, pulling this veil of darkness over his kingdom. And he, he, that's what he does. And he would, he, he may have you uh, deny his very existence. But he doesn't want you, and people do that. People will just deny, he would love for you to deny his very existence. He would also, but he really doesn't really want that. He really wants your worship. And so you and I have a real enemy, and we have got to understand that we've got a real enemy. And well, how does Paul describe this enemy? First, he describes him uh, as, as a deceitful strategic opponent. He is strategic. Look at verse 11. That you be able, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes is methodia in the Greek. And, and we get the word methodical from that. Satan is methodical. Satan is strategic. Satan is wily. Some translations use the word wily. He's willing to take two steps back so that he can move three steps Ahead, And he may let you think that you're getting away with your sin. It may even be like you're being blessed in that sin or that he's, that he's helping you along. And you may be attributing that to him, but you can take this to the bank, y'all. He has got a plan, and his plan is to ruin your plan. And he's strategic about that. And his plan is to wreck your plan and wreck your home and wreck your family and wreck your kids and he's got an IED in place and the trigger is armed and it's ready and Satan is working on you because y'all he is smart and he is wily and he is cunning and he is subtle and he is strategic and he is methodical and he's working on us and then he's he is um he is spiritual look at verse 12 
For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now look at this. Against the what? Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Sometimes, and the, and the world sells it to you this way. And so, so sometimes we think that spiritual means good. Spiritual equals good. If it's spiritual, then it's good, but that ain't right. There's spiritual goodness and there's spiritual evil. There's spiritual wickedness. First John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets been around for thousands of years. False prophets in the Old Testament. False prophets in the New Testament. False prophets in the ancient world. False prophets in 2019. They are all over the place. So we, we, we can be lured into false gospels. People get into seances and people get into the occult and people get into horoscopes and they get into to astrology and they get into Ouija boards and it's all that junk is sold to us like it's kind of interesting to investigate. But here's what it is. It's evil, y'all. It is evil. It is spiritual wickedness. And so he is strategic and he is spiritual and he is strong. Verse 12 talks about, uh, about rulers and about authorities and about cosmic powers. And, you know, we're in this time of year. We're in this time of year. Halloween. Like, Halloween's just all innocent. We had a harvest festival last night. We had about 800 people in here. They heard Christian music. They heard the gospel. They were handed a little pumpkin prayer that kind of lays the gospel out. They were given invite cards to come in and join us in fellowship. Here's what it was not. It was not some celebration of Halloween, y'all. We ain't celebrating Halloween. It is not happy Halloween. I'm not inviting that wickedness into our fellowship. I'm not. I'm not going to invite it into my life, and I'm not going to set the stage so that junk gets invited into your life. I hate that stuff. That is not what we did last night. And so verse 12 is talking about uh, cosmic powers and all this stuff. And, and I know this, that you by yourself, me by myself, we are nothing versus Him. We are nothing versus the evil one by ourselves. We are puny and we are weak if we try to fight Him in our own strength. That's why Paul talks about being in Christ throughout this entire uh, letter to, to the Ephesians. And so if we try to fight him in our own strength, we're going to lose because we don't wrestle against flesh. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil. And then he's sinister. Verse 12 talks about darkness and it talks about evil. Satan has a dark, wicked, evil, tyrannical power. And he does not fight fair and he fights to the finish and he will do anything in his disposal to wreck and ruin and destroy your life. He will. He seeks to wreck, ruin, and destroy your life. And he knows, y'all, he knows that he's on a timeline. And he's like a rabid dog that you back up into a corner. So he's strategic. He's a strategic opponent. He is also a defeated opponent. Opponent. Look at, look at the beginning of this passage, verse 10. And it starts finally. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Our God has already defeated Satan. And it's not that He will whoop him. He's already done it. 
Jesus said as he's headed for the cross, now the ruler of this world will be cast out in John chapter 12. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who is that? That's Satan. And y'all, to be honest with you, I couldn't remember which way the thing pointed to be greater than or less than. It's been a long time. Did I do it right? Thank you. I did it right. See, the Holy Spirit was in that slide. Um, But the truth is, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Rest on that truth. So he is, so yeah, he's strong, our adversary. He's strong and he's strategic and he's spiritual and he's sinister. But the Lord is greater than him. And you have got to learn these truths to, to understand the victory that is available to me and you as believers. So if he's already defeated, because that happened back, in, back on the cross, if he's already defeated, then why this warning? Why all this stuff about putting armor on? And here's why. Yes, he was mortally wounded that first Easter weekend. He was mortally wounded. For all intents and purposes, he was dead, but he, but he didn't die. He was absolutely, he was defeated, and he was hammered, but God allows him and has allowed him to have power on this earth. And you may say, well, Pastor Ed, why is that? I have no idea I'm not God. I wish he didn't. I wish he didn't. But it, that's, that is in God's timing and in God's will. He does have power on this earth. I know that it's limited power. I know that he's not omnipotent, that's all-powerful. He's not omniscient, that's all-knowing. He does not have the attributes that God has. He wants to, but he doesn't. So God left him here for, some, for, for a reason, and again, that's God's will, but he doesn't have all, he has limited power. I do know that we as Christians can and will overcome him in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that it is part of the Lord's will to make overcomers of us. And there's something that I read, and again, preface this with he was crushed with that cross, but somehow he still has power and has for the last couple thousand years. I read something four or five years ago, 2014, and I preface this with I hate snakes, and maybe I'm not supposed to hate snakes, and, and I, apolog- I really don't apologize. I hate snakes, I can't stand snakes. So, China, 2014, um, a cobra, pretty deadly snake, a cobra is being prepared in a restaurant as a dish uh, in this restaurant in southern China, and 20 minutes after his head was chopped off, he bit the chef and killed him. 20 minutes the head of the snake had been cut off, and come to find out in doing some research, man, you can just get mired down in the weeds of of research, that snakes do that often. Um... A guy named Sean Bush, who is a snake expert at East Carolina University School of Medicine, he says absolutely that that can happen. He says uh, it is a last-ditch effort to survive. That is exactly what Satan has been doing for 2,000 years. A last-ditch effort to survive. Uh, This guy, this doctor, Sean Bush, he said that they get real snappy uh, in the throes of death. Satan has been real snappy for the last, a perfect description, for the last couple of thousand years. He's snappy. He has been defeated. He knows 
he's been defeated. His head was severed at Calvary, and yet he still has this dark, uh, hellish power for a time. Y'all, but it's for a time. So the first thing, uh, the Christian soldier and his adversary, and you have to know that that adversary is real. And the second thing is this, and this is huge, that we've got to get our arms around and fully understand the armor, the Christian soldier and his, uh, and his armor. As believers, me and you, we've got to be battle ready. We've got to be wearing combat armor. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's important that we have all the armor on. The, the whole armor of God, he says it twice in this passage. Don't leave a piece off. Y'all, I remember a football game when I was 13 years old. Back in the day, I played quarterback at the quarterback at the time. And I hated wearing hip pads. Because back in the day, if anybody is as old as me, we didn't have girdles that the pads fit in. They pad the hip pads and the and the butt pad. Am I supposed to say that up here? The butt pad and the hip pads snapped in. Big metal snaps. And I hated them because they dug into your side. And so we're, I got to the field this day, and after I got out of the car and so forth, and when my dad wasn't looking, I took the hip pads out. I hated them. I took both hip pads out and the butt pad out because the metal was digging into me. And, they, and I could run faster with them. Well, first series, I dropped back to pass, and I'm looking to the left, and I got locked on a receiver that was doing a down and out on the left. And so I had my side turned that way. Fullback missed a block on the defensive end, and I took a helmet, never saw it coming. Right where do you think the helmet hit? Right where my hip pad would have been. Anybody ever had a hip pointer? Raise your hand if you ever had a hip pointer. Nobody's ever had one. Pain for a long time. It hurt so bad. But I didn't have all my armor on. I left that hip pad off. So, you know, the Word tells us twice in this passage to put on the whole armor of God. Every piece. So how does God describe this armor? And even, even this, are you going to need every piece of armor every day of your life? Do I need, did I need that hip pad for every play? No, I sure needed it on that play, though. And so I should have had everything on. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Some translations say the girdle, the girdle of truth. The belt of truth is the believer's integrity. In that day, a soldier wore a tunic. A tunic's like a, almost like a long gown or a long robe. And he had this, this big leather belt that held it on. And that belt held everything together tightly. Like a weightlifter today wears a, a big fat leather weightlifting belt. And it also held some of his weapons. It could hold his dagger on one side. And it could hold a sword on the other side. And this belt is truth. This belt is integrity, and it is integrity that holds everything in our lives together. Truth and integrity, in this sense, they're synonymous. Me and you got to believe the truth, we got to know the truth, we got to live the truth, and we got to preach the truth. You can't enter this battle unless you're wearing this belt, this girdle of truth. The devil is a liar, he's coming at you with lies, he's coming at you with deception. Jesus is truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
Jesus' truth and Satan's attacks are lies. He's going to attack your integrity. He is going to attack your integrity. Do you have that belt on? Are you wearing that belt every day? Or are you succumbing to the attacks on your integrity? The second piece of armor. Again, verse 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is our purity. This is the believer's purity. You need integrity. Truth, for sure. But you also need purity. There needs to be no unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life. A warrior at this time, he wore this breastplate. And often that breastplate was made of tightly woven together chains and it covered his heart and it covered his lungs and it covered kind of his vital uh, midsection and it protected him from the thrust of a sword. So this, this breastplate uh, is this righteousness is purity. Now the enemy wants to attack you not only with lies, but he wants to attack you, you with impurity. Often he wants, it's lust. Often he wants to attack you with sexual impurity. But it can be lust for anything. He wants to get into your heart and he wants to get it into your mind. And it may be some crooked business deal that is attacking your lust for financial resources, for money. And you say, well, it's no big sin. Well, okay, but it's a crack in the armor. And he will find the crack in the armor and exploit that crack in the armor. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So is your heart pure? And if your heart is not pure this morning, then you are sabotaging the battle. If it's not, there's a piece of your armor missing. Put the hip pad on. Because the defensive end is going to know where the hip pad is not. And he's going to bust you with a helmet where the pad's not. And I'm going to tell you this, look. Satan is scared of, that's S-K-E-E-R-E-D. Satan is scared of a fully geared up Christian with a pure heart. He fears us when we are, are, are that way. Alright? Y'all say scared. One, two, three. Scared. He's scared. Third, You've got to have something on your feet, your tree climbers. You know, these are called your tree climbers. What is it in verse 15 that's on our feet? It says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the Christian's integrity, his purity, and now his peace, his serenity, his, uh, his tranquility. Roman soldiers had to have good shoes to fight with. And the shoes that a Roman soldier wore, they, had, they actually had like almost like baseball cleats on the bottom of them. Um, it was very much like, baseball, like metal baseball cleats. And it gave them good footing so they could have a good stance and they could stand and they could be firm and they weren't easily knocked, uh, knocked or swayed over. It allowed them to stand firm. You and I need to stand firm, prepared with the gospel of peace. Peace with God and peace with each other. You've got to have the peace of the Lord in your heart before you can make war. And you say, that don't make no sense. Well, here we go. Satan attacks your integrity with lies. He attacks our purity with lust. And he attacks our serenity or our peace or our tranquility with bullets of discouragement. Whatever he can find in your life to wreck your peace, that is what he's going to do. And as we sit here this morning... Do we have, do you have peace? And if you don't, you're going to think that it is, it's circumstance driven. That it's the circumstances 
that you're in, but it's not. Biblical peace, biblical serenity, biblical tranquility is not the removal of the problems from our lives. It's not. It is the addition of the power of the Holy Spirit to handle those problems head on. There is no promise of a removal of problems from our life. It ain't nowhere in the Bible. But it's the addition of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with all of those things. And in verse 14, it's the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Jesus Christ brought, he brought that to the table. He brought that peace to the table with His cross, with the blood of His cross. And if you don't have that, you're going to slip and fall in the battle. You are, it's inevitable. Something comes along, some sickness, some disappointment, some discouragement, some financial trouble, whatever it is, and the peace that you thought you had flies out the window. But when you got the right shoes on and you can just dig in and stand firm and maintain a, a peaceful spirit, when you don't get into the college that you've been wanting to get in your whole life, you, you can have peace. You know, when you, when you get turned down for job after job after job after job, you can have peace. When you look the doctor in the eyes and he says the biopsy was positive, you can dig in and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you have something happens to one of your children, you can have peace. Something happens to your mom or your dad or your spouse, you can have peace. It will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind. Now the next part of our, our dress, our battle dress, is the shield of faith. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. A Roman soldier. Paul just happened to be chained 24-7 to a Roman, a Roman soldier as he's pinning this letter to Ephesus. I can only imagine he's looking... And he sees this shield, Paul does. He sees the breastplate. He sees the girdle of truth. He sees the shoes. He sees all of that stuff. And, and, and that's, that's the context that he's writing this in. So this Roman soldier carries this wooden shield. It's about 2 foot by 4 foot, about 24 by 48. And it was made out of wood. And it was covered uh, in leather. And it was made as a defense against flaming arrows. Because that's what they shot. They shot flaming arrows. Arrows and Paul says that, that that shield will will extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Satan's attack on our faith. Go to the book of Hebrews to learn what biblical faith is. Y'all, biblical faith is 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 believing that something that you can't see and touch and smell, you believe it just like you believe something that you can see and touch and smell and feel. And so Satan's attack on our faith is going to be doubt. It's going to be doubt. So we have integrity attacked by lies. We have purity attacked by lust. We have peace attacked by discouragement. And the devil is going to attack our faith with doubt or with, uh, with uncertainty. The shield of faith is our certainty. It is our certainty. Satan's got a quiver of flaming arrows of doubt. Y'all, and it seems like the world is just throwing uncertainty and doubt at us from every angle. Turn the TV on. Pick up a magazine. Look at the news on the web. Flaming darts from the world and the, and the flesh and the devil, flaming darts 
of doubt and that he's trying to infiltrate your mind and trying to infiltrate your, your heart with uncertainty. And it may be just, and it usually is, just little, just little seeds of doubt. Just to get you off just a little bit. Because today you'll be off just a little bit, but a month from now you'll be off a little bit more. And six months from now you'll be off a lot more. Remember, a little spark can, can just light up and torch tens of thousands of acres of forest. Put on that shield of faith, and what does the text say? Extinguish some of the flaming darts? No, it says it will extinguish all of the flaming darts of the devil. And I would tell you to feed the faith and starve the doubts. Take the doubts to the Lord, jump into the Word, and He will give you, He'll provide you with that shield. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Obviously a helmet protects a soldier's head. Protects their head and their mind and their brain. Why do we need that? It's not rocket science. Head wounds tend to stop everything else from working. So what is this helmet of salvation? Literally, the, the, the words mean helmet of deliverance. He's talking about being saved. He's talking about being a believer. He's talking about going to heaven. But he's even talking y'all about a little more. He's talking about a mind that is under the complete control, the complete authority, and completely submitted to the Lord. He is really talking about a worldview, a biblical worldview, how we look at everything. The fact that upon somebody being saved, upon the Lord saving you, your mind is transformed into the mind that God wanted you to have. Transformed into the mind that God intended for you to have. And by that I mean this. You change, your worldview changes. We've used this language God goggles in the past. You put on a new set of lenses. Everything looks different. It's like you put night vision goggles on, everything looks different. You put a, a biblical worldview set of glasses on, and everything that you see, it just looks different. It just looks different. You think differently. You act differently. Your brain is wired up a little bit differently. And yet, you know what I realized something this week as I was kind of getting ready for this message? And that is each one of these pieces of armor that we talk about really represent Jesus. You are putting on Jesus. When I'm alone and I'm tempted by whatever, I'm tempted by this or that, I'm tempted to maybe have my own little pity party. I just take myself in my mind back to the battle armor, back to the armor of God, back to Ephesians 6.10, and I try to remember what I've got on. I put my hip pads back on. I just put me on some Jesus. Matter of fact, I like that. Change the name of the message on your worship guide. It says, what is the name of the message? It says the Christian soldier, I think. Scratch that through and say, putting on some Jesus. Because that is really what we're doing. When we put that battle armor on, He is who we're clothing ourselves in. So we talked about the soldier uh, and his adversary. We've talked about the, uh, the, the Christian soldier and his armor. Now I want to talk about his attack, the Christian soldier and his attack. It is not enough to just be dressed for battle, to look, uh, to look like a soldier. We've got to get in the fight. We can't just be playing Fortnite or playing Call of Duty or one of those video games. And there's many of us, y'all, there's many of us that 
dress up in the armor. We look the part, right? We look the part, but we're just like little boys on a couch playing Fortnite on the TV. It don't, guys, it don't work. It just don't work like that. I think there's three things that assure our victory. Number one is this, the place of our stance. The place of our stance. Look at verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. To stand firm. Those words withstand and the word stand, it's digging the cleats in and you got a place to fight from. You do. You can't be knocked over if you're dug in. It's like you got the, uh, it's like you got the high ground or something. We stand in the victory that Jesus has already won for us. We don't really fight for victory. We fight from victory. Does that make sense the way I said that? We are fighting from a place. We are already victorious. Look at Revelation chapter 12. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb. It's past tense. It's already, it's already happened. His head was already severed 2,000 years ago, y'all. Number two, not only do we have this this place that we stand in, but we've got the power of the sword. Look at verse 17 again. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we talked about this defensive armor that we have. But we've got some offense too. We've got a helmet, we've got a shield, we've got a belt, we've got the shoes. But y'all, we have got a killer sword at our disposal. God's given us this, this place to fight from, this stance that we have. But we've got this killer sword, and that sword is the Word of God. That sword is the Scripture. That's what Paul is talking about. And it is the, a super powerful. It is unlike any other sword. And, and it's not Ed's sword, and it's not Stephen's sword, and it's not Richard's sword. It's not some pastoral sword. It is the sword of the Spirit. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. For the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. I love the Scriptures. I love the Bible. I love the Word. There is incredible power in this inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. God breathed it out. It is perfect and it is without error. Back up to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus comes on the scene. Right? It's just the beginning of His public ministry. It's the first time we really see Jesus in the Gospels as an adult. He goes to the Jordan River. Did you notice I said Jordan, not Jordan? He's the Jordan River. And John the Baptist baptizes him. What happens? What comes out of heaven? Say again. And what does is, what is he hear from heaven? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist baptizes him. What happens immediately? The text says, immediately the Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasts in the desert. He's baptized, boom, he goes into the desert to be tempted. Don't go down the heretical road that Jesus was not tempted in the desert. The Bible says he was tempted in the desert. Guess what I'm going with? He was tempted in the desert. He fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. Hungry. Don't act like he wasn't a man. He was a man. He was hungry. He was very hungry. What do you think? That, how do you think the devil tempted him? What was the first temptation when Jesus was in the desert? Hadn't eaten in 40 days. What's the devil say? He says, if you're really God, turn these rocks into some cornbread. Turn these rocks into bread if you're really God. Because what was he doing? He was attacking 
where Jesus at the moment as a man in the flesh was weak. Turn the stones into bread. What, how did Jesus defend Himself? With the Word of God. He said, it is written, it is written that man does not live by bread alone, but on the very words of God. Satan tempts him three times in the desert. How does Jesus defend Himself? Every single time. With the Word of God. He pulls out His pocket Bible and He starts quoting Scripture to the devil. That is the perfect model for what we do. It is the, we fight with the Scriptures, y'all. It is a powerful sword. Now verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So you stand... We stand in the finished work of the cross. We got our armor on. We take advantage of the power of the sword of spirit, the word of God. And now there's this provision of the spirit. Pray. The, the pray. The prayer in the spirit is where the supply comes from. Every soldier, every warrior needs a supply. And every soldier needs a commander in chief to guide him and to direct him. And when you head to the battlefield, when we head to the battlefield, we're standing in the finished work of Christ. You take the Word of God and you offer your prayer in the Spirit to our heavenly commander. And the Holy Spirit directs this prayer. The last thing I want us to see is the Christian soldier and his allies. Y'all, we got to lock arms. Verse 18 says to pray. And then he says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints... That's the believers, all the believers, and also for me, Paul, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was a warrior, but Paul knew he didn't fight alone. He knew we need to pray for each other. I'm not a one-man army. You're not a one-man army. One fully equipped Christian soldier plus one fully equipped Christian soldier doesn't equal two. It equals ten or twenty or fifty or a thousand. When we fight together, there is this synergy when we lock arms. This crazy synergy that happens that, that, that like brings about some uh, amazing divine energy. We are in the battle together. I need you and you need me. We've got to lock arms together. We've got to join forces and we've got to fight together. Church on the Trail is just a big battle station. We come in here together and we encourage each other and we reinvigorate ourselves when we're together. It's a place where we come and we get spiritual encouragement and spiritual intuition and, and we, we do all that because we go out then into the fray and we fight not against one another but with one another because we have a common enemy. And it makes me so sad that in all over the world, Christian soldiers have gone AWOL. I mean, just AWOL. And there are some folks all over the world in churches everywhere that they think somehow or another that when they walk into a church on a Sunday morning that they're doing God a huge favor. They're just doing God a favor by showing up on a Sunday morning. Really to just come in and they say this, this language like it's like cool or something... I just need to sit and soak. There ain't nowhere in the Bible that says you need to sit and soak. I just need to be fed. There ain't nowhere in the Bible that says that. Y'all, that's not what God has for us as His children. You can't be neutral. We're not a bunch of Switzerland sitting out there. Right? You cannot be neutral. We have got to lock arms and jump into the fight together. 
I want to describe what I know to be true here today. And I know it's true. Some of us are here and we've never been saved. We've never said yes to the Lord's offer of salvation. Some folks are here and you're a believer, but doubts over the years have crept in. Too much uh, history channel, too much discovery channel, I don't know. Doubts have crept in. You may not have full assurance right now, but you're a believer. Some of us are here and you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. And baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't save you, but if you're a believer, you ought to be obedient, and the Word says to be baptized. Some of us are believers here today and we've been baptized, but you're not serving anywhere for His kingdom. Somehow your heart maybe has gotten chilled, maybe you've been hurt, whatever, and so you're not serving. Maybe just a little bit of lazy has crept in. I mean, I don't know. Um, Maybe you would say you haven't found your niche of service. If any of those things describes you, you know what? I want to pray for you right now. Y'all close your eyes, if you would, bow your heads.